0: This is We Met You When, a new podcast by journalism students at Toronto Metropolitan University. We go back in time, dig up news stories from 2012, and track down the people in those stories.
1: Okay, cool. I'm with this article. Yeah. She referred to me as Burley in that article, I remember. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about that?
2: It's okay. <laughs> I've acquired a lot of different tools over time and Yeah, it's always a work in progress, though, to say, you're fixed. I wasn't fixed then, and I'm definitely not fixed now, right?
0: We want to know what happened after their names were in the news.
2: I almost felt like the depression started to set in when I realized this is, I can't keep this up. So at that point, I also think I was running out of steam. But then a lot of the external pressure, I think I let it get to me internally. I was like, "Oh, I'm in the newspaper now. Now they're going like, know who I am, and like, if I lose, they're gonna, I don't remember the newspaper article or something."
0: Some were children when they were interviewed; others were adults. No one was in a position of power, but many of them felt the power a news story can have.
2: It's definitely something where, um, even working with online databases and even working back with friends and peers and colleagues. It's something always like, don't Google my full name. Don't Google my last name.
1: And sometimes some of the things that you said and the way they put it in, it doesn't sound like that's what you were saying. Do you know what I mean? Right? And that's, to me, is scary, right?
0: We're exploring the difference a decade makes and the difference we journalists can make going forward by first going back to 2012. I'm Abby Hughes. You're listening to "We Met You When" season one. This is Jackie's Gambit.
2: This is real. I didn't appreciate the significance of it as much back then. I think I just saw it as like I'm. I mean, I didn't know I was referencing. I think Canada, so I knew it was a big event, and the Olympiad is a big team event.
1: Uh, yeah, she definitely was a standout because she was the highest-rated girl in her,
3: certainly in her age group. You know, a hundred percent of adult grandmasters were child chess prodigies, but. Not all child chess prodigies become grandmaster chess champions as adults.
0: In this episode of We Met You When, we're diving into the world of elite chess. The 2012 story that caught our attention was about Jackie Pei. She was 14 years old at the time and one of the best young chess players in all of Canada. Jackie became the second youngest person to ever play on either of Canada's national teams. In 2012, she played at the World Chess Olympiad. That's basically the Olympics of chess. Just before the Olympiad, she was profiled in the Toronto Star. The headline called her Chess Phenom Jackie Peng. A chess expert in the article was quoted saying Jackie was on a rampage with her skill, and on her way to becoming a grandmaster, the highest ranking in the sport.
1: Yeah, she definitely was a standout because she was the highest rated girl in her, certainly in her age group.
0: That's Vladimir Dekulitz. He's the president of the Chess Federation of Canada and a chess instructor. He's been in the chess scene for a long time, since he was about 12. Jackie was so good at chess as a child that she started beating adult chess masters at tournaments, including him.
1: She beat me very handily, which, which isn't that easy to do either, uh, because at least if I know the opening, I will certainly survive out of the opening, but she, I didn't know the opening that she played that well, and uh, she took full advantage.
0: In 2012, her name appeared in the Toronto Star, Yahoo!, and the Globe and Mail. But since then, she hasn't made any headlines. So we wondered, what happened? We tracked her down online, and she agreed to tell us her story. Hi everyone, I'm Jackie. Jackie learned to play chess around age 10. She doesn't remember exactly who taught her, but she remembers learning at school and through community center chess lessons.
2: I did a lot of chess puzzles, so I was pretty good at calculating and seeing moves ahead. And I was good at taking advantage of my opponent's mistake.
0: After playing a few local tournaments, she started taking lessons with a coach.
2: Another strength I had was playing in aggressive positions because... These positions are generally sharp and have a lot of opportunity for tactics.
0: Her skills landed her a spot on the Canadian national team. She played as second board on the women's team at the 2012 World Chess Olympiad held in Turkey. That means she was
2: the second strongest on the team. But then I think my dad or someone told me that, you know, if I do well on my last game, I'll get the
0: title. Jackie did play really well at that tournament. And then she got news that she might qualify for a Women's World Chess Federation Master title.
2: I think I was kind of a little anxious because I wanted to get that title. But I think once I was playing, my position was pretty good. I just went for the win. Jackie won the title,
0: solidifying herself as one of Canada's best young talents.
2: Yeah, I just. After the game, I think I was pretty happy that I got the title. The experience was really great.
0: The master title wasn't Jackie's favorite moment from the Olympiad, though. That actually came a few games before the big win, when she played a woman's grandmaster.
2: She's a pretty strong player. And I... I think I played a pretty good game and then another reason why I enjoyed that moment I think is because that game was like very long and I think we were in one of the last games um in the playing hall and I think someone took a picture or my dad or someone took a picture and it was just like me playing my opponent and there's like not there's like no one around us and Yeah, I think that game was just pretty nice.
0: Jackie loved playing chess, but competing wasn't always so much fun.
2: I think the nerves for me was a lot before the game, because sometimes I worry about, like, did I do enough preparation or... I don't know what opening will my opponent play. Jackie's nerves came from pressure. I think a lot of it was pressure from myself. It's both internal, internal and external. But then a lot of the external pressure, I think I let it get to me internally. Yeah, and I think I also just didn't want to let people down like my coach um, and my parents and my friends who thought I, were, I was really good at chess. I feel like, I was like, oh, I'm in the newspaper now. Now they're going to, like, know who I am. And, like, if I lose, they're going to, I don't know, remember the newspaper article or something.
0: That newspaper article Jackie's talking about is the 2012 article from the Toronto Star. Being known as an exceptional chess player set a standard that she felt she had to live up to. Around the Olympiad is when Jackie's rating peaked. A rating is a number of value used to represent a chess player's skill. The average rating for an adult tournament player in the U.S. Chess Federation is about 1,400. Anything over 2,000 is considered an expert-level rating. Jackie's top rating ever was 2,035. That's really good. Expert level at such a young age. This is when she was 15. Her ratings stayed in that expert zone for a couple of years, and then dropped to 1914. It's stayed there ever since. That drop happened in her junior year of high school. She was dedicating more time to school and feeling the pressure there, too.
2: Just because of the nature of the schools I was applying to, I was applying to like Ivy League schools in particular. But yeah, I think the pressure came from, like, am I good enough to get into the school? Are my achievements enough?
0: And despite being an expert player, she just couldn't imagine chess as a career.
2: I didn't see it as consistent and stable as, like, a job as um, other kinds of jobs. No one in my family did chess. None of my relatives did chess, like, professionally. So kind of also influenced by, like, um, like, my relatives and what they did, because my mom was um, a doctor back in China. My dad was, uh, my dad's like an engineer researcher, so.
0: Jackie's doubts about a career in chess made sense at the time. Back in 2015 and 2016, people in chess made money by winning tournaments and coaching, but not enough to make a living. There might be tens of thousands of dollars given out to winners at tournaments, but it's all or nothing. Either you win thousands, or you walk away empty-handed. These days, it's different.
3: Chess has been exploding over Twitch and YouTube.
0: Do you want to yeah. say hi to stream? No. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we are here at USC campus, and today we're giving away an iPhone
2: to whoever beats us at chess. Yeah!
0: Those are online creators Popped One, Anna Kramling, and the Botez sisters. All of them have made chess content online. Some of them have even made careers out of crafting chess videos like these. Streaming on popular platforms like Twitch has helped bring the game online. The biggest boom of chess streaming came during the pandemic. The hit Netflix show The Queen's Gambit came out in late 2020. It told the fictional story of a child chess prodigy and helped boost the game's popularity. By January 2022, the number of hours people stream chess on Twitch was 22 times higher than the year before. Canadian sisters Alexandra and Andrea Botez are examples of two high-profile chess streamers making some serious money. Last year, Alexandra, who's in her mid-20s, said she's making six figures, playing chess, and creating chess content online. She said that includes a salary from Team Envy, an American esports franchise. Back in the summer of 2016, Jackie wasn't thinking about esports. But she did realize something while watching the Summer Olympics on TV.
2: And then I think I remember seeing that the athletes who competed had a lot of passion Enjoy for what they were doing. I mean, it's also like very hard, and some you see them like celebrating, and you don't always see the tough moments. But I think I felt like I didn't have that kind of like passion for chess anymore.
0: Wondered how and why children with exceptional talent can lose their passion despite experiencing so much success. So we turn to David Day. He studies child mental health at Toronto Metropolitan University. He says there's two main factors at play in childhood success.
3: So let's take intelligence and motivation. Put them together. A child who who is passionate about the game who enjoys playing chess, who is ha, is in, in an environment where they are able to practice, 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 becomes a feedback loop. You know, the practice enables the enjoyment, which enables the motivation, which stimulates the intelligence, which leads that person onto a trajectory to become a grandmaster chess champion as an adult.
0: But Day says it's common for child prodigies to lose motivation despite being exceptionally skilled.
3: The pressure to do well, to do better, to improve is extraordinary, you know, is extraordinarily difficult and stressful and anxious. You know, so a child chess prodigy may just feel so overwhelmed by that pressure to compete that they lose They no longer can function, you know, within the chess world, and so they drop out.
0: As a chess coach, Vlad sees many young players come and go. That's not necessarily a bad thing.
1: Chess will teach you to become more strategic, more disciplined, uh, to work on your chess. And that's a skill that you can apply in other areas of life. So... There's a lot of people that uh, take those skills and then they apply it to business or they apply it to medicine or they apply it to engineering and, and they do quite well for themselves. So you, you can't really think of it, oh, if I can't become a chess professional it's a waste of time. No, you've, it's a discipline and uh, you can apply that type of discipline to anything.
0: Jackie's focus shifted to academics, specifically sciences. She pursued a degree in bioengineering with a minor in computer science at the University of Toronto.
2: The university was a fresh start. I realized that I could pursue different hobbies in a way, like develop new, not a new identity, but kind of have new things and meet new people. And people didn't have to recognize me as the person who, like, played chess or was really good at chess. She joined tech clubs, went to church more, and
0: began tutoring. Jackie developed a passion for the research of genomics and its applications to healthcare. Now, she's studying at the University of Pennsylvania, pursuing a PhD in genomics and computational biology.
2: Um, I think it's really cool that in research you can ask questions and um, explore your ideas. And hopefully, like, come up with ways to, um, you know, make the world a better place ideally or, you
0: know, help people. Jackie is researching ways to mitigate the effects of cancer and she hopes eventually to become a professor. She's no longer playing chess competitively, but Jackie says chess is still helping her succeed.
2: I think, like, playing chess, um, training really taught me how to work hard. I think I also have this um, understanding because of chess, like, of how much effort and time it takes to be good or do something well.
0: Jackie says sometimes she thinks about what life would have been like if she was still competing at chess, but she has no regrets about leaving. Instead, she just plays with friends.
2: If I want to train, I can train. I'm not, like, forced. I feel like I, have, I manage my own schedule. Also like managing classes and my like PhD schedule. I feel this flexibility to study as much and play as much as I want to. Like no pressure to be competitive about it. So I think, yeah, there are times I just do it for fun now and it really is fun.
0: We Met You When is a production by students from journalism at the Creative School, Toronto Metropolitan University. This episode was produced by Caleb Sakoch, Curtis Martin, and me, Abby Hughes. Sherry O. K. K. is our executive producer and professor. Angela Glover is our director of audio production. Lindsay Hanna is our web design specialist. Additional sound design by Al Laws and Curtis Martin. I'm your host, Abby Hughes. Thanks for listening.